To start things off, I have a quote from C.S. Lewis, and he says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Now, I believe in many cultures of this world, I would, I would bet most cultures in this world, cultures in Asia, Africa, Latin America, like I would be willing to even say maybe even three quarters of this world has an understanding of reality that includes the spiritual realities. Even the culture that I am from, the Korean culture, we believe that, you know, evil originates from evil spirits and that there is some sort of cosmic battle that is taking place. I would say most of the world has that sort of view. But for us in the West, we have a very different view. As C.S. Lewis puts it, a materialist view or a naturalist view of reality, that what is real is what we can see, taste, touch, feel, hear, and that's it. And, 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 and when we talk, when we you know, hear about the cultures of this world and their understanding of spiritual things, we tend to call it superstition, mythology, and, and so on. But actually, I've, I've actually also um, known people who had the opposite uh, view, the magician view, so to speak, as what C.S. Lewis put it, um, having an, an excessive or unhealthy interest in, in demonology and, and, and things like that. And so I've met people that way as well here in, in, in Kitchener. And so there's this story I was... Uh, Again, when I was a young Christian, I went to a conference with a, a Christian brother of mine, and um, we were at this conference in Toronto. It was maybe, I don't know, like 3,000 people. It was huge. It was in this giant, huge uh, conference hall, and uh, lots of people in front, lots of people behind, and uh, something happened, something that everyone does, you know, it happens. But we were sitting there and all of a sudden, we smell a whiff of gas. You know, somebody passed some gas, okay? That's okay, right? It happens. Now, in this instant, it was, it was uncomfortable. I'll, I'll be honest. It was very uncomfortable. It was pungent. And um, it, it didn't go away. And so we're like, man, maybe this is a demon spirit. I don't know. I was kidding. But it was just like, wow. And uh, my, my Christian brother... He had one of these views, these unhealthy, kind of over, uh, over-exerting spirituality, and he attributed everything to demons kind of thing. And so uh, when we were smelling this odor, um, he just suddenly got up and he said, I rebuke that foul spirit in Jesus' name! And I'm like, what? I didn't know passing gas was a foul spirit. You know, I had no idea. There is a danger in attributing absolutely everything to demons. And so there's a, you know, 
On either end, it's dangerous. Now, we've been talking about spiritual warfare for a couple weeks. The last two weeks um, have been really a primer for what I'm going to be talking about today. And, and the passage that we've been looking, about, looking at was Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verses 10 to 18. This is probably the most uh, comprehensive uh, chunk of the Bible that talks about spiritual uh, warfare. And so we've looked at the first four verses so far, verses 10, 11, 12, and 13. We're going to go on um, and look at verse 14 and on this morning. But before we do that, let's just go back to Ephesians 6.12. Okay, this is what it says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, when we read this, we need to keep in mind that Paul was not saying that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Okay? He wasn't saying that we never wrestle with flesh and blood. People. Human beings. Paul himself wrestled with people. He felt the wrath of the Roman uh, government as he was imprisoned and beaten so he wrestled with people. So Paul's not saying that we're not, we don't ever wrestle with flesh and blood. But I believe what he is saying is that there are times, often, when we do have struggles with one another, with, with people, often there is a deeper spiritual battle that is taking place. I mentioned a couple weeks ago about the Congo and the genocide that is continuing to take place there. And we read about it in the news and we see just the atrocities that happen in this world. And it's not fiction. It's, it's real. It happens. And we, we see that. It's like, man, it's unbelievable what humans are capable of doing to other people. And, and it's... I mean, there's a deeper thing going on there, right? And it's, it's, it's very almost obvious when we, when we see it in terms of uh, those great big scale things that take place, like the genocide. And um, we can see that, man, there's got to be some spiritual forces of darkness behind that. But we also talked about how the enemy is very sneaky. His A game is misdirection and, and distraction, 2 Corinthians 11 talks about the devil being uh, a, a one who masquerades as an angel of light. And so being hidden is something he's good at doing. And I think that so often the struggles that we have, the subtle things that we face in our lives with one another is in some way tied to his attacks against the body of Christ. And I believe that is what Paul was communicating here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18. Because you see, when we read the whole book of Ephesians, and we read Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 in its context, struggling in relationships and having spiritual warfare within relationships is what Paul is getting at here. And so let's do a little bit of an overview of the book of Ephesians. Okay? So Ephesians, the first half of this book, is Paul 
declaring the great news of Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen folks, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus has dominion and authority over everything. And so he's enforcing this reality. What we're singing about this morning is true. Jesus was victorious on the cross over every power of Satan and hell. Nothing can stop the power of God. Nothing. And Paul is enforcing this reality. And he goes on to say, we have, God is a merciful God who saves us, not by our works, but by grace through faith. So he's showing us who we are in Christ Jesus, the identity that has been given to us in the first half of Ephesians. The second half is Paul saying, this is how you live it out. Okay, the first half is, this is who we are. In Christ Jesus, every spiritual blessing has been given to us in the heavenly places. We have victory in the name of Jesus, but it needs to be enforced and lived out. And this is how it's done. And then he, in chapter 4, he talks about unity in the body of Christ, unity in the church. And then in chapter 5, he talks about husbands and wives, right? He talks about that from starting in verse 22. And he, and he spends the rest of chapter 5 talking about the relationship between husband and wife. And then chapter 6, he begins by saying, talking about the relationship between children and parents. And then he goes on to talk about bond servants and their masters, relationships between people. And then he says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers over this present darkness. Often when a struggle is taking place with one another, there is also a spiritual battle that is taking place. And you know, there's, it's easy for us, I think, when we are encountering a struggle of some sort with another person, a family member, a co-worker, spouses. Um, oftentimes when we do think of spiritual warfare, we think that person is dealing with spiritual warfare. There's something wrong over there. Okay? They're being demonized. They're being deluded. They're being you know, attacked, not me. Right? It's very easy uh, to think that way. But often we too, we ourselves are battling a spiritual battle within ourselves. And, and the devil likes to blind us to that fact. And Paul is opening our eyes to the reality that we all have a battle, that we all face spiritual warfare in our lives. And in order for us to live out the identity that Christ has given us, we need to enforce that reality. In our lives. And the armor of God is how we do that. And so, starting in verse 14, this is what he says Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so the first piece of armor is the belt of truth. Now, I'm usually the recipient of hand-me-downs. My brother-in-law, he has a lot of clothes, Uh, a lot of nice clothes, actually. And oftentimes, maybe once a year, twice a year, sometimes he goes through his closet and uh, the things that he doesn't wear, he passes them on to me. And uh, there was a time when I was quite a bit thinner than he was. And uh, I don't know what happened, but um, it's almost like the, it, it switched over or something. Or I think the pants just shrank because they don't fit anymore. I don't know what's going on there. But uh, anyway, there was a time when those pants didn't really fit. And so the problem was I didn't have any other jeans or, you know, dress pants to wear. And, and so I had to wear those pants. But in order to wear them, I had to wear a belt. I had to wear a belt. Belts are great. They hold your pants up. They hold things together in place. The belt that Paul is talking about is the piece of armor that holds all things together. You see, the belt in the Roman soldier's armor held the breastplate in place, held the sword in its place, even the little skirts they wore. It was cool for Roman soldiers to wear the the skirt thingies. It held that in place, okay? And so the belt held everything in place. And, and, And what Paul is saying is, let truth hold all things together. Now, now what Paul is saying isn't necessarily doctrinal truth, holding the right doctrine. He's talking about truthful living, authenticity, not lying, not being deceitful. You see, the devil does that. He is the liar. He is the father of lies, John chapter 8 talks about. And so as believers, as followers of Jesus, don't go that way. Live an authentic life. Put on the belt of truth. That's what we're called to do. There's a saying, oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Right? How many of you have heard that saying? It's true. And and the art of deception is is quite stealthy. And and there's times where, where we can get caught in this web and we don't even know it. And I think that one of the common reasons for deception, even if it's subtle, is for self-preservation. We lie to preserve ourselves. And I believe that's a fault. It comes from a faulty understanding of our identity in Christ Jesus. You know, and it could vary from exaggeration to full-blown lie. Right? And it's to prevent others from seeing ourselves a certain way. We want the approval of others in some way or another. And so we get caught up in this web of deception, even though it might be subtle. And Paul is saying that's not the way we are called to live. You know, we've been given a new identity. We don't need to, you know, have the approval of others. We don't need to 
uh, do that. We have, we're in Christ Jesus. We are rooted and grounded in Christ. We have a new identity. The old is gone. The new has come. And so I believe putting on the belt of truth is understanding that we no longer need to preserve ourselves. Myself is dead. Christ is now alive in me. And so live with that reality in our lives. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate guards our vital organs. And the most important one being the heart. Right? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. There's a saying that when you hit a bump in life, you spill what you're full of. If you are a person of integrity, righteousness flows out. The breastplate of righteousness is putting on a life of integrity, living a godly life, a God-centered life, a God-focused life. Because you see, when we live a life that is partially obedient, partially God-focused, we begin to take liberties and fall into even subtle sinful patterns in our lives. We say, oh, that's okay. I can do that. You know, I can, I can, I can go there. I can, I can do this. I can watch this. I can say this. And even though knowingly it's not what God would have us to do, but some way we can justify it. And, and when we start doing that, even the subtlest way, what that does is it creates a crack in the armor. And it gives the devil a foothold to enter in and get into our hearts. And it, and it begins to change our desires. And, and it turns into desiring after the things of the self rather than the things of God. And, and that's how the enemy wants to get in. And so putting on the breastplate of righteousness is living a life of integrity, doing what's right even when no one is watching for the glory of God. The next thing is shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I've always thought that this was evangelism. You know, that you put on shoes and it means that you go and preach the gospel. And of course that is um, important that we go and evangelize and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But being Uh, Putting on shoes and having readiness is talking about being sure-footed, being grounded, right? Kind of like what we were talking about two weeks ago, that we need the firm foundation standing firm. Actually, last week it was talking about standing firm, right? Roman soldiers had shoes on their feet so that they would be able to have sure-footedness during battle. And, And so what Paul is saying is be sure-footed in the gospel of peace, that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And as we stand firm in that peace with God and continue to live a life with peace with God, we will project a life of peace with man. And so the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace is being sure-footed that we have peace with God through Christ Jesus. The next is the shield of faith. This is an important piece of armor. 
One of the crafty ways that the enemy attacks us is by getting us to doubt God. And uh, he precisely does this to Eve uh, in Genesis, right? Did God really say for you not to eat of the tree? Did he really say that? Right? The enemy likes to try to make us doubt God. And when we are in a place of doubting God, we are more susceptible to the enemy's lies. The book of James says that one who doubts is like a wave of the sea being tossed around by the wind. And so God is calling us to live a life of faith. Hebrews 11.6, that without faith, says that it, without faith it is impossible to please God. You know, I have so much joy when my kids put their faith in me, you know. I remember uh, there's this big slide at Victoria Park. It's tall, yeah. And uh, there's times when, you know, our kids go up there, I'm like, oh man, if they kind of fall over the side, that's quite a fall, right? And, and when they're up there, I, I let them know. I let my kids know, I'm here. I'm at the bottom. Don't worry about it. And, and, and the fact that they're not even, you know, yeah, they're however many feet up in the air, but my daddy's down there. He's going to catch me. And they come down the slide, no problem. And it brings me joy when I see my kids having that kind of faith in their daddy, you know. But I'm not a perfect dad. Sometimes I might, you know, make a mistake and, oops, I forgot to catch you. Oops, right? But God is not, thankfully, not like me. He's perfect. And he will. He's there. And he calls us to live a life of faith. Taking up a shield of faith is a statement in the, in the face of adversity. It is proclaiming the promises of God in Scripture and holding firmly to those promises even when the storms are coming. That is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Proclaiming that God is with me. Who can be against me? Again, like what we were singing, if our God is for us, who can be against us? Proclaiming that truth in the midst of the storm. Proclaiming that God will supply all my needs according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus, holding firmly to that promise, even when it doesn't seem like it's happening. That is walking by faith. And it is what God calls us to do. God is pleased by it and he answers us in his timing and in his way. God is the God of the impossible. So let us walk by faith, not by sight. The next is the helmet of salvation. So you all know I have three kids and um, around the ages of six months to about three, uh, my kids are, you know, they like to bonk their heads on things, especially my son. Um, he's hit his head quite a few times, and there was one time he had a goose egg here and a goose egg here, and I remember thinking, you know what, I should invent the infant helmet, you know, totally, right? Would anyone buy that, by the way? No, just kidding. <laughs> You know, I thought, you know, I should invent the infant helmet, you know, the, the nifty noggin or something, right? 
Helmets protect the brain. They protect the main control system of the body. It's the brain that sends information to the rest of the body and tells it to function in a certain way. If the brain is damaged in a certain way, it will be unable to fire the right information to the body, causing parts of the body to not function properly or at all. Likewise, a faulty view of salvation will cause us to not function properly. I think one of the greatest deceptions in the body of Christ that Satan has brought to the church is that salvation is a one-time thing. That salvation is a prayer and that's it. That praying a prayer to receive Jesus is it. Now, I'm not against praying the prayer to receive Jesus. My wife came to the Lord through Alpha, praying the prayer to receive Jesus as her Lord and Savior. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, but we've almost reduced the Christian life and and salvation to that prayer. Salvation is not a one-time thing. It is a process that begins at the prayer. It's a life long journey everything starts there it's called sanctification transformation god continuing his work in me breaking down the old and building in the new it's like an inner construction zone and when you enter a construction zone you need a helmet you need a hard hat and the christian life is a reconstruction, an internal renovation project. And during that process, we need a helmet, the helmet of salvation, to protect us from doubting this process, from despising the inner work that God is doing in our lives. The helmet of salvation is the armor that protects us from falling away. Here is a nugget of truth for us to keep the helmet on our heads. Philippians Chapter 1, verse 6 says this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, until the day of Christ, we are going through the process of salvation. So let us not be weary when God brings to break down, begins to break down the things in our lives to build up the new life in us. Finally, the one piece of armor that I will mention today, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I'm sure we've heard this before, but may I remind you that the devil knows the Bible. He knows it better than we do. He used the Word of God to tempt Jesus. What a guy, eh? He tempts God, the Son of God, with the Word of God. And of course, Jesus combats the lies of the enemy with the Word. When we not just read the Word of God, but actually feed on it, meditate on it, 
Let it soak the truth of God's word. Soak into your inner being. You know? Make it the book of quotes that we post on Facebook and Twitter. Right? Make it the the guide posts and the lifelines of our lives. When it becomes like that, it becomes a part of our being and it produces fruit in our lives. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And he says this, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You see, a tree that is planted by streams of water doesn't strive for water. It's right by the water. Its its source of life is right there. So it is for those who delight in God's word. When we delight in his word, when we meditate on his word, it nourishes us. But not only does it nourish us, it arms us in battle against the devil's schemes and against the devil's lies. And so church, let us remember we are in a battle. If you are a follower of Jesus, you're in a battle. And it's subtle. And that battle takes place in here and in here within us. And so let us take up the armor that God gave to us that we may be able to withstand the attacks of the enemy. But I leave you with this question. Of all the armor that we talked about this morning, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, right? the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, which of these needs a little bit of work in your life? Maybe a little oil placed in that armor so that it can move. Let's think about that. Let's think about those areas in our lives. And let us ask God to strengthen those areas. When we do, he will. I believe he will. Because he has made it available for us in Jesus Christ to have victory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the spiritual blessings that you've given us in Christ. We thank you that we have the victory. And Father, although we have the victory, we still are called to battle. And we are enforcing the victory through Christ Jesus in us, through the armor that you give us. We thank you that we do not have to put on our own armor, that it is your armor, the armor of God. And I pray that you would guard that you would arm each and every one of us with your armor, that we may be able to withstand and have victory in the areas that we need victory in, in our lives. Help us to enforce the victory. We thank you. We love you. Thank you that you are with us always. We stand on that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Please remember to pray for me and and Tracy and... And Mary, as we go to Manitoba. Have a great week.